Hello, my name is David Turner and this is episode 13 of the Lunar Poetry Podcast. This episode has been uh, a few months in the planning now, so I'm very happy today to welcome Travis Alabanza. Hello, Travis. Hello. And S.A. Smythe. Hello, S.A. Hello. Um, and as usual, we're going to begin with my guests introducing themselves, so we'll begin with Travis. Uh, my name is Travis Alabanza. I'm a young black queer performance artist and writer. Hello, S.A. Smythe, slightly less young, uh, <laughs> academic and poet. Thank you very much. And I've decided uh, that we're going to begin with a poem from Travis today. Brilliant. Uh, This is called Sing It To My Body. What about my body? What about my protection? What about my body? What about my protection? What about my body makes it not worth your protection? Makes me undeserving of a text to check I arrived home okay. No offer to walk this body through cis-ridden streets because my lipstick on this leg hair affords me no protection. And what about my existence? Makes me not worthy of your care. Makes my skirt and heels a choice to deviate and never wonder. And only our sisters can be afraid of those darker alleys because no one cares if my mascara is ridden with fearful tears. What about my body? What about my protection? What about my body? What about my protection? And I'm tired of bodies like these having to scream for your protection. Write statuses and articles just to convince you of our danger. Break nails through clenching fists in fright. Blackened eyeshadow to preempt our bruises. Because what about my body has given warrant to this danger? What about my body has given warrant to this danger? What about my body? What about my protection? What about my body? What about my protection? What is it about my body that makes it so disposable? Makes it welcome to your laughter, but never your safekeeping. No, it is never granted your anger in persevering because this body's breathing is birthed in synonym for violence. And what about my shade of tights? Makes my legs born to be running, makes me only correctly in function when I am in fear. You can care for me on stage, but never on the streets because what is this body if it is not your performance? What is this body if it is not your performance? What about my body? What about my protection? What about my body? What about my protection? And I'm exhausted of having to make words just to have your ears, write songs for you to sing just to hear what protection feels like, breaking my silence only to ignite temporary rage because what about my body has to beg for this protection? What about my body has to create phrases for you to sing? Sing with me, what about my body? What about their protection? What about their body? What about their protection? Mm. Thank you, Travis. Very nice. Um, Yeah, so just a couple of things to say before we start, and and just so the listeners know what's going on today. The main focus of the discussion will centre around writers and performers that identify as QTPOP and their place and the space afforded to them by the established poetry and spoken word scene here in Britain. And um, I've been, in the months planning this, screwing up and throwing away all the disclaimers I kept kept thinking of putting in but I'm going to start with one thing and that is that everything we talk about today will be from a personal perspective and I've not invited SA or Travis here to speak on behalf of a community or a generation but rather to shed some light on some very important issues uh, based on their own experiences and I'm sure my guests as well as I am uh, welcome any feedback from listeners after this discussion. Um, 
and actually I'm not going to make any more of those. <laughs> just going to talk, which would be good. Um, <laughs> uh, first question, um, how much of your work is informed by identifying the scooter dog? Um, all of it, because I am. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sure you'll see, Travis, that was really beautiful. Thank you. Um, as always. Um, <laughs> I think, and obviously I've been thinking a lot about it because, you know, I knew I'd be here today. But in general, in the last year, um, thinking about sort of my creative process and my relationship to my writing, I think a lot about how explicit I am or I'm not being with my writing and upfront about like this is coming from a place of being XYZ identity, identitarian category. Um, and in some ways, I'm like two minutes in already critiquing myself from my writing, but um, stick around, it gets better. Um, <laughs> but I think um, one critique I even have of my own process or a struggle that I have with my writing is that it's a little bit closed sometimes. Like there are definitely things that I'm talking about and like here's this explicit thing that I want to um, address or approach, but I, throughout my process, it sort of gets a bit um, masked, but then the masking itself becomes kind of what I'm trying to say, if that makes any mm. sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's, a, I mean, it's obviously um, central to anything I say. Yeah. I think I get that question a lot. Um, my work's obviously, like, at the moment, really quite explicit. All the stuff I guess I show is very explicit. Mm. Um, and I get... I think I have the same answers as, say, in the sense that, like, everything I do is going to be influenced by who I am. Because from the simple fact of walking to your house this morning, you know, I was looked at twice, screened at by a kid. So, like, you know, it's hard to then write about, like, some rivers and some oceans without mm. then thinking about, like, how this influences me walking down these streets. Um, at the moment, I'm part of like a young writers program. Um, and part of the critique that I had when I submitted my anthology for that was that like my work was too much about the same thing. And I was thinking about that a lot because I am trying to like start showing more of my other work that maybe is less explicit. But then I was also thinking about the fact that like, for me, my journey to finding writing and finding poetry was to voice exactly this. Mm -hmm. Like, was the fact that, you know, I was angry and I am still angry and all these things I didn't know how to articulate, that, like, metaphors aren't really going to work for me. Like, screaming about it is. Like, if you're having an explicit incident, such as being, you know, called a tranny on the street, mm -hmm. no metaphor is really going to hide or heal that for me than other just explicitly saying it. And I think it's this thing that, like, we actually do to cutie pop writers, like we do it to ourselves, but mainly white audiences and white editors and white critics do to us. Like when a white man writes explicitly about love all the time and like this possessive hetero idea of love that they have over this woman that they like broke up with 20 years ago and they're still writing about it. No one says, why are you still writing about it? Straight up all the writers I learned about us. <laughs> right, <laughs> but yeah, so I guess that's where yeah. I'll go with that. Um, yeah, I mean, I was already, I know you both pretty well, and I was pretty sure, I knew the answer to that question anyway, but just, just for the clarity for the, for the listeners, but it was also born of the fact of this quote that I read last summer by Drew Kruer, which is, I'm tired of people assuming that I have some special relationship with my identity or my body just because I'm not straight. And I wanted to go on to ask, do you think other cute book writers might feel obliged to continue to return to the thing of their identity because there are so many strong uh, and talented voices that are doing that already. Um, and this is more just a general question to yeah. write 
any writer, you know, if you identify mm-hmm. as any... I guess, I guess it's an interesting quote. Um, I guess it's hard for me to comment on, like, someone else's process yes, of writing, yeah. definitely. I think we all have really different relationships to our sexuality, our gender, our race. And I think even having not a relationship with our sexuality, gender and race is a relationship in itself, especially if we're in like a world that tells us anything that's not straight, like isn't the norm. Then to have a relationship that you don't see it as something that's vocal to you is a relationship because you've like maybe got to that. I think like the idea of feeling pressure to write about something, I think that's like somewhat true in the sense that like sometimes I don't know, like for me actually I feel the pressure sometimes to not speak about certain things. Mm. I guess I can't really speak for other people's process, but like I think that like we all have pressures of what we feel we need to write and what we feel we need to look like on stage. And I think that like, or on paper. So I don't know, like I think that's tough, I don't know. What do you think it's like? Yeah, no, I, I agree, which I suspect will be a common refrain. Um, <laughs> I try and disagree with I you. Do. Yeah, we'll get contentious. Um, I would only invite you to Well, I genuinely think, I mean, I agree, and I, I also um, I heard the quote and I was like, huh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I almost wonder if it's true, false, but you know, it's more or less true, but sort of missing the bigger picture, like, Yes, it may be true that that is a feeling that occurs, but I think that feeling could also be, you know, external. Like people see you as other and expect you to speak on that otherness. But then also I think, and this is more speaking for myself because I too can't speak for anyone's process, but I think um, my um, obsessions in my own writing come sure from that place of otherness and marginalization but also because i want answers for myself do you know what i mean like it doesn't mm-hmm. actually have anything to do with other people i mean to an extent because it's like i keep coming back to these issues of gender identity sexuality performance masculinity etc because i don't have any answers precisely because they're other that i want to figure them out and i need to keep going mm-hmm. back to writing so Sometimes that exhaustion, I feel it, and I want to project and say it's because people are making me write about these things, I can't get any play if I don't write about anything but these things, but also I need the answers. And when they Mm -hmm. become banal, when they become sort of commonplace and I've sort of answered them, if that ever happens, then um, I think I'd be too bored to continue and so will other people because society will be in a different place, not me. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, Travis and I first discussed uh, having this conversation last summer, wasn't it? Early last summer, and I mentioned the word activism, and we both cringed because I wasn't quite the right <laughs> word. But for activism, what I mean at this point is uh, educational protest or community work. And um, I'd like to talk about the elements of activism, both of your writing. Um, how aggressive do you still feel you need to be in your work in order to educate audiences or to get messages across? Uh... I don't know how aggressive I (laughs) feel I have to be. I want to say that I am very aggressive and I embrace it. Um, And again, not necessarily in the the harshness or the expertness of how I write, but really, um, we've talked about this before and I think about it often, being misread and how you sort of can't write or speak your way out of that to a certain extent. So if I'm on stage or if I'm sharing my work you know, textually in other medium, um, I'm gonna do my best to insist that you don't read it anyway besides the way that I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be read as aggression. Um, oh, actually, just before you answer Travis, I just uh, that raises a good point. I think there's a tool used by white cis men 
to accuse people of aggression as mm. if it's a as if it's a bad thing. Yeah. You know, you know yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I probably just <laughs> words out of your mouth. But I just, um, uh, I'll shut up. You, you, you said, <laughs> yeah, no, no. Well, to defeat what, my punchline, David. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what I mean more yeah. by aggression is forefrightness, you know, mm. and, and yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Part of my answer still, st- I mean, my answer yes. still stands. Um, yeah. But I also, um, to take on this nuance, I think, uh, I don't know, I think, and again, this goes back to what I initially said, I think there's some parts of me in the way that I write that is a little bit masked. And sometimes I wonder, you know, between me and my journal, if that's just because I'm actually not fully ready to, like, embrace the radical, like, fullness that is myself not even about my writing or how other people are reading it but really um to reveal to myself and then have others be a part of that witnessing Mm. um so so that's on the one hand on the other hand um aggression meaning forthrightness i think um a lot of people know what i'm talking about because it's for them and Mm -hmm. not for the people who don't know what it's about Mm. or um sort of can't pass the lines even if it's metaphorical it's not for them anyway so it may seem less aggressive or less direct or less speaking to a truth but it wasn't theirs anyway so it doesn't matter to me yeah yeah and I think that like I like that you use the word aggression because I think we should be real in the words the, the people that are looking at us are not using like oh they were very full fry like they're saying nah, that, that was like that aggressive trans kid on stage yeah. shouting at me right so I like that you used aggressive and I think also we should note the difference that like you know, like a lot of, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, I say like a lot of your work is like on text and to be read, right? Mm-hmm. Which carries a different kind of aggression, right? Like yeah. it, it gets them with the, both of resistance, right? And a lot of the time my work is on stage and like mixed with like different performance elements. And I think like, even if my work was talking about some calm sea and ocean, I keep on going to all these like white ideas of poetry. <laughs> like, you know, sea, like I don't know, like GCC anthology is like, just like, let's talk about trains and seas. Um, and like, so like, say if I'm even went on stage and started doing this like, you know, art school, like, I can't swear on here, can I? Art school piece about, um, you know, the sea, right? That, even if it was the calmest piece ever with like tranquil music, just my body on that stage would be seen as aggressive. Mm. You know, like the fact that I'm going in the like past month has been perfor- I've been performing in all these white spaces with white support acts for me then to headline them. That's an aggressive act because like this white queer scene, this white art scene is like not made for me. So I'm aggressively putting myself on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, uh, I have to be aggressive in like outwardly. I don't have to be, I want to be, but like, uh, it's my protection, right? So like there's certain gigs I do when it's just cutie pock or when it's like a safer space that like everyone comes back from and is like, oh, you gave a different energy there. And it's because I think as a performer, like I have different elements, you know, my background's in performance and I'm using poetry as like part of my performance, right? And I think that like, for example, I'm really excited tonight. I'm performing at like a library gig with uh, like that Rudy Lowe's organizing. It's gonna be majority cutie pock. And I can't wait to read some work that I will never probably read anywhere else at any other gigs that I'm doing this month and that will still be aggressive because aggressive is part of me but like where's that aggression to I think I don't know actually no it wouldn't be aggressive I think it would be like totally like healing and calm but that aggression that everyone projects to me on stage I think I actually had like someone like come up to me after the show and was like you were so fierce like but not like other people's fierce like angry fierce like I was scared of you on stage and it's this white queer person I was like good like I'm glad 
because like I want them to be because like the only people I want in the audience really when I'm on there to feel any kind of love from me like to feel any kind of like I want to snap my fingers at you is like the cutie pocket in the room right mm -hmm. and if anyone else gets anything from it then that's like a bonus for them but really like <coughs> yeah so I don't know like I love my aggression it's kind of what like I don't think I'd survive without like this like fire and anger in me right like it's the protection and maybe like I'll grow into finding a more like maybe when I'm a bit older there will be a more useful way for me to like project myself but at the moment like Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so last summer when we discussed this, you, uh, Travis, you also raised an important point about the difference between activism, aggressive or otherwise directed towards people that may be oppressing, and activist, activism which aims to support a community. And do you feel like at the moment that we talk about poetry mm -hmm. um, rather than okay. uh, sort of performance stuff, but do you think this balance is right at the moment or would you like to see more people writing in a way in a more so, supportive way so i think yeah so i think i meant what i was yeah i was talking about how like there's sometimes times for like community building and community work mm. and like what does it look like if your work is constantly like focusing on white i think i was trying to like decenter whiteness in like my work right like if my work if i don't take stock and think like when is my work community building and like what is my work doing for the queer black poor kid reading this if it's just like if it's like bouncing straight off them, but it makes the white man really angry at me, then like, is my work really like building anything mm. community wise? So I think I thought about that a lot. So that's why like I started writing stories of a queer muddy kid, which is a much more like text based storybook. And I read, I wrote, like I, I made it in the idea that like, this is for no one's sake other than like to create and heal, right? There was like, so I tried to like take that anger that will always be there and put it into like, more inward like community feels. I think at the time when we were talking, I was feeling a lot of like disconnection with what like community means. And um, was seeing a lot of like culture that was creating a lot of like anger. And it was really hard because we are told not to like police anger. But at the same time, I was like, when does this anger create like love in the community for me? So yeah, I think sometimes there's a way of like getting that anger into like love but like it's who you're directing that love to, right? Like I can always be angry at every white guy. Like yeah. no one can tell me not to. Like <laughs> yeah. that's so easy. That's what I want to do, right? <laughs> but like I want to also find that anger and like channel it into like love for like other kids like me. Um, am I allowed? To, I'm gonna ask questions. So yes, do you of think that because um, you said this was last year and I wasn't mm. a part of that conversation? Do you think now it's gotten better in terms of so how you've orientated yourself has made it better in terms of your community practice? Or your community building yeah like have you seen a community being formed in a more concrete way because you've changed um i think like if i redefine community to fit the brief <laughs> i've seen people around me and my friend yeah. like because right community's friends right so like in i think before i was looking at this broader sense of community that i was like kind of building on this ideal that we could create and i feel mm. think we can i think it just takes a little bit more work but around me what i've seen is a lot less, like when I'm in my downtime now with other queer black friends that like chill with me at uni or chill with me at home, I've started realizing that what are we spending our time doing? Are we spending like 100% of our time being super, super angry talking about how white people have fucked us up? Mm -hmm. Or are we spending some of that time, right? Like, yeah, it's needed. Like, how was your day? Ah, oh, this happened, this happened. Some person said this to me, great. And then we're spending 75% like watching some great movies, chilling back, making some good food, talking about our mums. So like, I've seen it redirected in my personal life whether or not I've seen that translate into like a wider social community. Yeah. I don't know. Actually, I don't I'd know. just like to go back to something you said earlier, I said about um, your work being 
for other people of colour in, in that what you would write, not exclusively, but you write as yourself and I would talk to other people who identify in the same way. What I was wondering was that, um, is there a situation now where it's easier as a young person of colour to get up and do an angry poem because that's what white audiences understand? They understand mm -hmm. that form of aggression. If you get up and do something that's sort of community-based and love-based, that only other people of colour can understand, um, there's a chance white audience go, well, because they think because there's an assumption everything should be directed towards them and every, every, poem, every form of poetry should be understandable to them, mm -hmm. that there'll be a disconnect and then it would seem as though that form of poetry is failing when it's not. It's just not speaking to those people in that room. Does that make sense? I don't it does make yeah. sense, but I have no idea how to answer it. No, no, um, <laughs> Precisely because yeah. I don't, like, I don't, um, I mean, I really outed myself at the beginning of this as an academic as mm. well. Yeah. Um, and I, so I think that's an interesting, I think you're not, but uh, Travis, but there's an interesting <laughs> difference in that I have, uh, in, in the amount of media I have, I mean, Travis said that they use, so, I'm going to phrase it wrong, poetry is a part of performance, yeah. performance yes. is what you, where yeah. you come yeah. from, and I'm the opposite, yes. if there is an opposite in a kind of binary way, and I think precisely because I have like an array of different text-based ways to communicate, and also that, to be fair, give me legitimacy, mm -hmm. um, but I don't really think about it. I mean, I'll tell you, in my academic sphere, um, a lot of what I write is just not intelligible anyway because it's not anglophone, it's not heterosexual, it's not cis, it's not the, like it's not a lot of things, even in the areas in which I'm writing, and it works the same in my my poetry. So when I, um, which I've been trying to do in the last year, also take um, text-based things and like try to perform them or figure out how to make them performance-based things and not text-based things, and see what changes and what stays the same. Um, the last thing in all of that internal sort of creative process that I'm thinking about is really like is this legible to white people mm -hmm. I can't I can't tell you and I also so so I just don't know I also I don't think my I don't think my anger manifests itself in as explicit I don't even know how to use the, explicit is not even the word because I, I, I can't travel like I can't even tell you how many times I I uh, I mean <laughs> like, I don't even know how to say this obviously needs to be recorded but like it's really I think I hope it's really clear from whoever interacts with me um, the depths of my pro-blackness let's right. put it that way like it, but it, see even in my phrasing it this way has nothing to do with white folk like it yeah. just literally has nothing to yeah. do with white yeah. people um so when i'm writing or performing and standing up i i can't even yeah i barely make eye contact with the audience in general let alone do i think mm -hmm. like was this gotten by a certain kind of people because mm -hmm. i know affectively almost in a different kind of body language or there's another language at play mm -hmm. that the people that i want to get it get it even if i'm not even if we have like different like class or mm -hmm. nationality or other kinds of things I think yeah. there's a generosity that is almost, I was going to say in spite of ourselves, but almost because of the resistance mm -hmm. that we've had to live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was, that was yeah. a long answer. But. No, that was real. And that's like, <coughs> you can also tell when you're like listening to someone, like, yeah, you can, you just know, like if someone's like there, who they're there for sometimes. I think like, I haven't reached that stage. Like I, I can be super honest. Like I haven't reached that stage where like I'm performing in front of an audience and sometimes I don't catch myself thinking, what is that Tom and John gonna think in there, right? Yes. Like I'm not, like I think I thought I was, like I really thought I was like, 
yo, this is just for me and this is just for like other queer black people. And then like, just came back to London after the holidays and my first gig was in like this Soho gay bar. And like, it was, I didn't see one person of color, but also I didn't really see one woman there. Like person that I was like viewing or like reading as a woman there. And it reminded me that like, oh, you still care. You're still scared by them. You still wonder what they think. Cause I'd never been so nervous. And like, you know, that really like was a good time to check myself. Like you think because you're performing like this hello explicit ode to like queer blackness that you still don't have this internalized shit that sometimes means I've got to work through that like, I'm still nervous about what they think. So like, I've, that's definitely been something I've been working on. And um, it's something I definitely like strive to like achieve, right? Just to like know that actually like this white idea of credibility, this white mm -hmm. idea of like what we deem as like respectable poetry, what we deem as like a good performance. Like, it doesn't mean anything to me. Like publication, any of that, like it, sh it doesn't mean anything to me. And it's about saying that out in the air to then like learn how to like make that like 100% like it doesn't mean ish, right? Mm. 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 That's it. So the quote that I mentioned earlier from Drew Crewer was taken from the anthology Troubling the Line um, and it talks academically about what the editors describe as trans and genderqueer poetics and I just wanted to ask you both what that phrase means to you, if anything at all. Because it, it doesn't, the, the, the phrase itself is confusing. I should have done some research. Just initial thoughts because we, we don't yeah. have to get hung up on this actual point because we can go and talk about other things yeah. but just that phrase itself. Trans and, trans and genderqueer poetics. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really mean anything to me, probably because I've not researched where it came from or who it is, but mm. also because I'm like quite bad with like labeling like type of things like that. Um, I don't know, maybe my poetics are quite gender fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> <Maybe>. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I also um, was publishing editor for a trans journal, um, asterisk on now, um, and so and so um, I remember last year and as a part of it being you know part of the discussion of what gets put in and what and why really talking through um, the pieces and I think there is something. I think maybe there is something to the term, but I also want to reflect or raise up again that I'm an academic and so labels, gosh, I love them. And as much as I want to, you know, she them and have like, is it construction, deconstruction, post re deconstruction? Like there's always sort of genealogy of terms um, or genealogies of terms. I'm already doing it now. Um, and maybe it doesn't have actual purchase in, in the world of my lived experience. So basically the same thing as what's, what Travis is saying, perhaps, I don't know, like if identity politics weren't a trap, I'm gonna say mm. that every time I can, every time. Um, mm. <laughs> if, if, and there were not some sort of debt that I yeah. would eventually have to pay, whether I know it or not, affective, like some kind of debt, um, then I would like free, willingly um, go with a term like that, but I think, that there is, and I'm not sure what it is yet, and so I'm suspicious. But then I also think, by nature of being a cutie pop person, uh, and one who writes poetry, ipso facto, I'm a person who <laughs> ascribes to queer, gender queer, trans poetics. 
Yeah. I think. <laughs> it was a long. I'm gonna shorten my answers. Because no, um, it definitely coloured the way I read the book. Like it, this phrase yeah. kept floating in every time I read a poem. It yeah. was, it was trans and genderqueer poetics. That was what I was trying to find. Like, it really. I mean, it's the point yeah. of the anthology. But I think when you state things like that at the beginning of a collection, it really it does influence the way you then view each uh, piece and each writer, I think. So then that's, I guess, like, that author's purpose, right, in doing that and, like, giving this name to it before you read these poems. Mm. So I guess it just depends in, like, whether or not... Like, I prefer to switch it, right? Like, I'm a transgender, non-conforming person writing poetry rather than, like... I don't know, like, I just, like... I, I Again, I'm not really good with those terms. I'm not yeah. really academic. But it's about power as well, yeah. oh, thank God. But, I mean, I think it's definitely about power and I want to... What's coming to mind as well... Um, is a lot of people in like the like disability rights or crip movements as they like use those terms and it's like um, a disabled person or person with a disability like how you shift the power mm-hmm. of the label and the terminology um, and who has agency in that term mm-hmm. and I think yes it's true that that's the purpose of uh, the editor author writing this anthology but I think you know framing this anthology but I think um, it just makes it super transparent that the act of framing an anthology or editing a volume is to um, situate uh, yourself at the top of a hierarchy or at the centre of an axis of power that doesn't really speak to me in this moment so yes they have to say like here's here's a showcase of these kinds of things but what it does is sort of chips away a bit or draws power away from the individual works if you're doing precisely what they wanted you to do it's not an accident you're right that you're like okay i've read this thing let me figure it out on its own terms then also i guess this is trans poetics you know i think mm-hmm. um violence is sometimes an overused word but i think that that's like the <laughs> I mean, like the say, violence of yeah. anthologization and like making something speak for something other than itself. Mm. I mean, it, it it seemed like they were trying to do the right thing in that they were unashamedly yeah. putting together an anthology mm. of of work by trans and genderqueer mm-hmm. writers, but it but sort of over academicizes well. the the collection perhaps. Mm. And just as an aside, yeah. I don't know if you saw it yesterday. There was um, a piece on the Guardian website about whether it should uh, the phrase person of color should be. Um, something they use now and the main thing that came out of it really was that perhaps they shouldn't have a middle-aged white guy <laughs> discussing yeah. what they and yeah sorry but that's a yeah. sound that's a sound <laughs> conclusion to yeah. pay but, but yes we're talking about labels but it's just a very odd a really odd piece of about 800 words which sort of didn't, didn't go anywhere and didn't yeah. say, <laughs> say anything yeah didn't, definitely didn't need to happen um, sounds I think, like the Guardian yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the reason um I wanted to talk about the phrase also about mm. whether it's is a kind of poetics and what that means is because then reading the anthology it sort of made me think well I'll try and analyze this poetry in some way and try and find returning themes and identify returning imagery and stuff but then doesn't is that just not what's synonymous with the, the problem with um, established publishing routes is that what you don't want in or don't need in that situation is cis men going through Mm -hmm. that kind of writing trying to work out what's being said you know or how this work should be read (laughs) well i i'm curious to hear what you have to say about this travis because my initial like the consternation you read on my face was more like well why wouldn't you want to read it i think Mm. and this is part of what i mean when like identity like it i understand its purchase and its value and it's um 
youthfulness and also ability to oppress. Um, but I also, um, it's a little bit concerning sometimes when some folks I know who live under the guise of allies, um, like they wear it as an identity, which don't. Um, well. Because it's not, I think, um, May, may come to a, like, a similar tendency like why I of XYZ identitarian categories shouldn't be viewing XYZ or ABC body of work and sort of putting my like trying to figure it out I'm like isn't like isn't that literally the problem isn't the problem that there's a um, like a system of like those systemic oppressions and the structures converge to oppress certain kinds of bodies and certain kinds of people and the people who either unwittingly live under those things, less maliciously live under those structures, go about the world and saying, well, that's different and I don't understand it and I can keep going about my life and keep thriving and never have to really understand it. I think um, in a certain sense, I'm more for the FUBU, like the for us, by us, because I just, that's what we've been saying. But on the other hand, um, or an extension of that same hand, I definitely think... Um, like a cis white dude who picks up a trans anthology mm. um, and like tries to read it and is like, oh, sh oh, I don't, <laughs> um, I have no idea. Like, what are they saying? Like, this doesn't speak at all to my experience. And A, that's okay. And B, there's something beautiful here. C, there's something powerful here um, that deserves to thrive and live. Mm. And even if you don't even like act on that person, like doesn't even act or move forward on that and just like, let people live in this case cutie pop or trans people that's literally leaps and bounds mm. from what the systems of oppression have been doing for the last millennia mm. you know yeah i think it's like interesting because i think when i put any work out there although like my intention of who's it's for who is it like who is it for is like very much in my head and there like i have to be so aware that like that's not going to be the only person reading it so which means that when i put my work out there like i have to think about that and i have to remember that and that means that, like, I think when a cis, like, we'll use this cis white dude as, like, this epitome mm -hmm. of, like, but obviously there's other nuances of people that aren't going to get my work. But, like, this cis white dude's reading my work. They understandably don't get it. Um, can they then not, like, analyse my work and stuff like that? Yeah, like, I think they can. I think the danger is in, like, if they then project their outward opinion to the world mm -hmm. about my work without recognising that they are coming at it from, like, a whole different book on a different bookshelf, right? So, like... It's what happens when those white voices that are more respected in like white poetry scenes then comment on this trans anthology publicly. That's when I have an issue because mm -hmm. their voice and their power and their opinion will be so much more valid than like the opinion of all the trans kids that like absolutely found love and amazing power in that work. Do I think that means they can't read it and analyse what they're thinking and why they're thinking it? Not at all. Like I think it's really helpful, right? Like a lot of my cis um, friends when I started like coming out to them a bit more like internally like and like less publicly when I like did it for them like a couple of years ago or did it for me but with them we started by like reading a lot of like we all create art and we started about showing a lot of art and stuff like that and my art really helped them break down some of these binary views they had of gender right um, if they didn't sit with that work and like look at it and like think about it and analyze it as cis people they wouldn't have been able to understand as well their really good friend so like, I think going back to Essay's point, if this person reading this trans anthology means that like the next day they're not gonna shout at me on the street, then like, freaking read my work. <laughs> and not only that, I was, I was saying that, but we were speaking, I was speaking from the point of the yeah. consumer and you were also speaking mm. from like, the publisher, the person mm. with more like, mm. power for that work to circulate. Um, 
and to bridge that I don't want them to just read it I want them to buy yeah. it like I want them to put their cis white male yeah. dollars on the line because they have more capital to circulate than the average mm-hmm. trans cutie pop person mm-hmm. so that's what I mean like when people are like well this is not for me and it's yeah, not for the space or like mm-hmm. I think actually it, sure it's not for you you can still support it and please mm-hmm. do support it so that we can thrive mm-hmm. yeah. like your opinions don't really matter to me or anything but your money really does mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I think that's the point I was trying to make is that of course um, th- these anthologies should be open to be read and analysed by anyone because that's what poetry is for mm-hmm. and about but it, there's too much of a natural leap for a lot of people to then question how it's speaking to them directly mm-hmm. without saying am I the intended uh, other side <laughs> of this conversation you know and even if you're not the intended other side of the conversation it absolutely doesn't exclude you then from reading and buying you know, and because it is an, I completely agree with Travis yeah. that it is an amazing uh, resource to use to help people give mm. people an insight into what people I think that's what's beautiful yeah. about poetry in general is that yeah I was going to add just also like it's fun right like I want to bring the fun I want to bring the word fun into this like, no, 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 no. like so like I had so much of like some of my most like reading poetry can also be super super fun and funny right and like cutie pop can also be really hella funny, hella funny. right and like I've had some of my, like I the, the a big transformative experience for me for like two or three years uh, yeah it's going to be coming up to three years ago when I stayed spent some time in Oakland around cutie pop it was the first time I was ever around like just cutie pop for like a really long time and there was um a really amazing group of like fat black women that like uh, used the word fat to describe themselves and like they were queer the fat they were black and they made poetry together right like none of this is something that I can at all relate to as someone that's not a woman and isn't fat. And like they were also all dark skin, right? And that poetry was so, so fun and amazing. And I enjoyed like watching them whilst it wasn't for me, like I enjoyed it, but I also learned so much. And I think that's what's really important. Like just cause something's not for you, doesn't mean you can't also like really enjoy it. And I think like we are used to that, right? Like we can, we have to like, as Cutie Pop, we have to watch TV shows, movies, stuff like that and sacrifice it not being for us and sometimes still enjoy it. Like now, I don't enjoy it as much, but like when we're younger growing up, like we have to enjoy all these shows that aren't for us. We don't have to, but we do, right? Otherwise there's no nothing to watch on TV. Like, but as soon as like a cis white dude has to like watch something that's not for them, I'm like, nope, this isn't for me. Can't do it. Not going to the cinema, not doing any of it, not reading these books, right? And it's like, no, we're hella funny. And we're cute. So like, <laughs> like black don't crack. So. <laughs> Cecily Tyson, look, anyway, I can just. No, I think that's very true. And I think Toni Morrison said something like that as well, especially around the time that she won the Nobel Prize for Literature. And I think uh, something that we had to, um, and here's some reverse racism for the white people out there um, who think that that's a thing. Um, I think that it also speaks to the capacity for black, trans, cutie pock folk to have like a greater imagination and a greater Mm. sense of empathy. And I also think that's one that's necessary, uh, based on resistance and resilience and all these things, but it's necessary to like thrive or just exist in this current state of oppressions in which we're sort of confounded in. Like we have to see and imagine that this is not all there is. We have to see, um, I don't know, Columbo, just to put myself in there um, and like, growing up whenever we have to watch the things that you watch and say 
yeah, I can see affectively or related to emotions, this person or this mm. experience is one that I can sort of get behind. I can see this mm. story because what I'm living in, I mean, it has to be some sort of, you know, story. It can't be the reality that we're sort of destined to otherwise, I think. All resistance is really futile and lost. Mm. Um, I think next I want to go on to discuss uh, sort of publishing and promotion of um, poetry, but... Maybe we can take a poem from Essay before that. Oh, what? Okay. This poem is called You Cannot Ordain the End of Times of Disillusion with the Wave of Your Hand. Cynicism is a strong castle guarded heavily by powerful armies. You need more than a nice turn of phrase. An insurrection, a hurricane, a noise so insane that it shakes up the consciousness, and even then, I doubt that this is enough. Allow me to see you now when I have left me. And I am leaving you safe and sound like pure prose, like sliding stone, like artifice. You turn your back and wave and rare. I gather up your smiles like we will soon be gathering carrots that the other harvesters have forgotten under pebbles. Moving west, I held my arms violently outstretched in the anticipation of a second life promised to those who survived the fall of Comet to Earth. When they look back on our story, it will be a tale of two travellers, you and I, who have never parted spiritual company, neither in a mirror or on the road. It lays before us like a rhyme that carries the rush of our words. Be me so I can be you. Rise up so I can carry you. Come nearer that I can know you. Whatever is sealed becomes near. Whatever is distant opens up. And if you do not misspell care, she will overflow and flow through your nostrils, I too might become one of your personal belongings if you do not misspell it. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm going to ruin the mood now, asking questions again. We're <laughs> <laughs> all relaxed. Um, I just wondered what your, both of you, what your views are on the barriers towards getting, uh, when it comes to getting published for acute spot writers. Mm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll give that say some time. Um, I think for me, uh, one of the main barriers is language um, and class and who we see in visibility. And I could talk about them all for ages, but instead I want to like focus on the fact that like um, being from a council estate, uh, being from like a really working class background in a single parent family, and then having your first introduction to poetry being your GCSE anthology mm-hmm. means that your first idea of poetry is that it's not for you right so like to me and then and then like figuring out that you like rhyming and you're like you know that's my first introduction to poetry everyone says like what's my first introduction to poetry it was walking down to the green by my shops and hearing like the people like four years older than me spit bars at each other and call each other waste man like that was the best poetry (laughs) because i then took that into the school and like we would have rap battles in like the middle of like the playground we would like you know like spit bars at each other and like that was my poetry right but that was the poetry that was banned from that classroom right if teachers caught you doing that you would get told off so already like before i even decide that like i want to like write before i even formulate my idea that like this would ever be something i could do i'm told that like my earliest examples of like rhythm and rhyme and like making words up and having fun right which is what poetry is is wrong and not allowed in the classroom especially not the English classroom. Like, I'll never forget my English teacher telling us all off for spitting bars outside a classroom. And then the irony of us then walking in and then learning about, like, poetry, mm-hmm. right? And she just told a group of, like, black kids to not, like, make rhymes. And these rhymes are sick, right? These rhymes are quick, <laughs> these rhymes are funny, these rhymes are fast, like, they're funny. And but I think that... about William Butler? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? So I think the earliest example of, like, and obviously this then just continues, this constant blockage of, like, you are not allowed in. 
Like, that's what it is, right? But it starts so young that when we start getting these programs for, like, you know, 19 to 24-year-old black kids in these, like, institutions like the Barbican and the Battersea Arts Centre, like, they're great and they're super, super important. But it starts so young in the sense that, like, from a young age, like, we are not shown in our curriculum in what's shown on TV, that poets look like anything but like a slightly overweight, gray-haired white man, right? And then sometimes this white girl. Like, so it really comes from this like access, right? And then the language. So your first, sorry, I have so many thoughts about this because (laughs) at the moment, right, I'm dealing on this barrier of like being asked and questioned and like building for publication, whatever that means, right? Like, and I'm on this barrier of like being in these workshops that are prepping me to like put something forward, right? And it's so interesting seeing what the editors are correcting me on because they're all these things like form, like grammar, like spelling, all these things that like I was told in my bars when I was spitting did not matter. So like all these rules and what we're placing importance on is like I write by a different form. Like my form is not iambic. My form is not like this sonnet. Mm -hmm. My form is like how quick can we split a bar and make sure that the punchline still hits, right? So it's like by redefine, like in order to get this access to like Cutie Park, and I'm speaking from a specifically working class background, like we gotta just reshift even the language that we're using. It pisses me off so much, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, words. No, I think, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, to the point that I like forgot the question, I'm just like enraptured <laughs> in what you're saying. But if it's in terms of publishing, I mean, I used to work in publishing also uh, at the Feminist Press in New York under its early, just an Italian publishing. Um, press and I want to speak I I mean I don't know I think there are a lot of issues and I have um, sometimes a real impulse to just want to set it on fire but then I also think um, you can have like an abolitionist vision and then know that things still need to get done in the moment like you still need to like (laughs) be heard and those Mm -hmm. 19 to 24 like and younger, especially young, younger, because yeah. you're super right that it starts incredibly early. Mm-hmm. Um, how you perceive your self worth and and how that's mm-hmm. reflected from society. Um, they need to sort of know that they have a voice and have their voice heard and circulated and have that matter. So as you really know, I think um, Travis's answers should definitely stand on this one, especially because you're like broiled right in the center of it at these intersections at the moment. But I, yeah, I do want to impress like how fundamentally important and relevant the question of access is. It's mm. not just like, oh, these people want to get their poems heard. It's not, absolutely, it's not that. It's when, you know, my three-year-old's nephew who like has some sort of creative spark and you like, and then I see the fear that's gripped, that, that grips my, my sister and, and grips me also mm. when like, um, now he's getting into the age of like going into school now he's going to be like out in the world now so he can't be like a carefree like he can't mm. just be like in tutus and crayons which is literally mm. all he's ever like every time you see him crayon one hand tutu just somewhere near <laughs> like his person um, or on one of his toys um, and I think that that fear is something that um access would sort of assuage and I don't really um, have an answer except playing the identity game you know like putting cutie park folks in charge putting us in charge of telling our own stories and that's something that every group really says um, and I think that that's true I don't know I wanna sorry I have like so much to say but I wanna like it's that fear right and I wonder like if when a white man from like a 
kind of well-off background decides that they want to be an artist, if there's any fear, right? Or like there, there maybe is because of how we view art, but like not that same comparison to like me, like me coming out to my mum as like wanting to be a creative was way harder than coming mm-hmm. out as like queer or any of the other things that I've had to like tell my mum, like, right? Saying yeah, to my- you could be trans, but a lawyer still. Yeah, you know? right, exactly. <laughs> like I can be trans, but still getting money, right? Like, yeah. and the fact that like I was getting good grades and I said, no, I want to create, my mum was like, we're poor, like what the, yeah, what, what are you, you doing, doing, right? Like, so when I think this is the problem, like not only is like, we know the wider, like in a general sense, like arts is in a problem, right? But the, like so much of that is like, who can take the risk to go to art school? Like I'm still at King's College London, having an awful bloody time with my degree because like, because I got those grades, I still needed to go to an academic mm. institution, right? I could never apply to drama school. Like, and, it's because, in, and that's what my mum's for, right? Like, my mum is doing, like, good good parenting and, like, being the best. And, like, that's the institution and access telling us that, like, we're not allowed in. But also that, like, if you get there, you're never really going to get to this because we can't see any publications yeah. or anything saying that you're, like, credited, right? So, like, places need to start, like, just literally, like, I see so many of these poetry journals and they, like, put one person of colour, like on their like whole list of publishing that whole year or whatever. And like, normally they're like a South, a- they're not normally black and they're normally mm-hmm. South Asian. And the topic they're normally talking about is like very like directly and obviously like related to like their identity, like that South, it's this thing we've heard before, right? They're never talking about queerness. They're never talking about anything else, right? Like, and I just think that like, it needs to be shaped up. And sorry, I'm, I'm not even no, giving like Arctic lands. I think that's saying. super valid. And again, you're just right. There's nothing else to really say yeah. on top of this, um, um, except to like further note that, and not obvious, I mean, intersectionality, intersectionality is a thing and it's important. And I think it's part of what we're talking about here because you're speaking from working class backgrounds. And I also think there was decades ago, and I mean, I can only, I mean, I know this like factually, mm. but I sort of note that it was spoken about when two white people recently died, Alan Rickman and David Bowie, um, like white national treasures, global white treasures, beauties. Um, great. But when they were saying, you know, they went to, people noted that they went to working class schools, um, were working from working class backgrounds and they were able to go to art school. And I think um, that that would, I mean, that just wasn't, that wasn't really like a shock. There was more access then. There still was not access for like gender non-conforming people of colour. I mean, it was still, it's still been sh- terrible. Uh, not allowed to curse on this, but, um, but I think um, the access, like the disparity has been like even greater. So mm-hmm. people can like lament and say, oh, you know, working class people are still having a hard time of it in general. But I think you're so right. The point that you're making out, um, in terms of like the domestics, in terms of family life, mm-hmm. like sure, in a, in a in a class sense, the disparity. I mean, class warfare is real and it's sort of rampaging throughout Britain, um, even more than it's ever been before. I think, but I think, um, or I wonder, how do you also grapple with that family? Mm-hmm. Because I um, like the respectability respectability politics in my family have always been incredibly strong, mm-hmm. um, but I even. Like I'm cringing at the moment even talking about it that way mm. because I wonder if it's respectability politics when my family literally came from zero things. Like they survival. came from like sharecropping Caribbean mm. and Central America type lifestyle and then, you know, got on that boat and were like, we're gonna, like, mm-hmm. where people are gonna be okay. Like mm-hmm. our family's gonna be okay. We're gonna wear this bow tie mm-hmm. and wear this hat and we're gonna go to church on Sundays and we're gonna do these things and we're gonna like try to get our children into good schools so mm-hmm. they can have a profession so they can have a family. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, 
it's survival and then it gets warped and there's a respectability element to it but I think and this is you know I'm just sort of riffing and thinking out loud but I'm also thinking Travis about what you were saying not just then but also in terms of like community or the greater community or like where it starts and I think um also on a pro-black tip like if you go back to our communities or we stay within our communities and work within our families and are like you know it's okay to want to be creative and have all these other kinds of expressions because black people have been doing nothing but being creative like our existence is literally the most creative thing i can think of like it's the most miraculous thing it's the most creative thing it's the most um aesthetically original thing that i've literally I, i can even imagine and i think if we exercise in some ways as impossible as it sound outside of the system like radical black love and pro-blackness mm-hmm. at its core and throughout like sustain that shit i think from like that big lens to a small lens it'll be really easy for like new cutie park up and coming child to say mom i'm gonna be a dancer mm-hmm. like i'm mm-hmm. gonna be a performer and that's what's up and that person to go well, word, we're black, that's what we do. Like, this is how we express ourselves. This is our history. So if you go ahead and be your dancer, you be the best dancer. And also simultaneously um, work towards a collective dismantling of a system that's like, not only can you not be a dancer, but if you're going to be a dancer, you're going to starve and mm. your family can't thrive. Mm. Yeah, well, just coming back to one point you made, Travis, about what the, you wonder if the, the white middle-class guy fears going mm. to art school. I think what they feel is excitement and confuse it for fear. Because I don't think, mm. you know, if you're talking about financial situations, I don't think people who have never mm. actually had to worry properly about where money is coming from, you, of course you can never understand where that's. Mm. I mean, I, I did a ridiculous thing where I've got really supportive parents who so I come from quite a work, you know, proper working class, white family in South London. But I went off and, um, qualified as a carpenter before I went to art school because I wanted to have a trade so people yeah. wouldn't worry about it. Right. <laughs> so I just got my trade under my belt and then I, yeah. then I was free to go off and do what I wanted and no one worried because I could just, once the art stuff went, went right. you know, <laughs> fell through the floor, yeah. I could go back to a proper yeah. job. What look at me now, de- look yeah. at me now. <laughs> this is what this bougie degree is for, yeah, yeah. right? Like, it's the fact that like it gives, I mean, like I picked the wrong subject to get credibility, but like <laughs> I'm doing like a bougie, like a, at a bougie place, right? Because that means when I then plan to like try and like live and sustain as like a community person and working as an artist, I can go back to my family and be like, but if worse comes to yeah. worse, I went to King's College London. It was has a really huge imperial colonial history and look at its big pillars. So it's impressive. Like, so many columns. Yeah, <laughs> so, so many so columns, many. which means it must be impressive, <laughs> right? So it's like, you know, it's a different way, obviously. Like yeah. the trade is that same thing, yeah, right? Like yeah. a lot of people in my family are all like working in trade and like that is how you sustain and survive, mm. right? So like, yeah, I totally feel you. Like got to do something at first to keep, yeah. Um, my next question, this might be more for Travis to answer, but similar question to publishing, but more aimed at spoken word events. And um, are there any consistent mistakes that people yeah. are making in terms of safe spaces for transfer? Yeah. This is, yeah. and go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you could probably both. Yeah, yeah. please. Um, yeah, of course. Um, common mistakes include, I mean, I'm performing a lot in the moment, so I could probably turn this into a poem. In fact, I'm gonna listen to this back and remind me to do a poem for this. Like. Uh, yeah, like common mistakes include me being the only person of colour on a really, 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 really big lineup. Um, common mistakes include misgendering right before you go on stage, right? So like misgendering, I think, is like something that's going to naturally happen to me a lot of times in my life. However, like if you are hosting me, like 
and you've read my bio. Just ask. Just freaking well, read ask. read the lines. Like, They're three right, lines. Like, yeah, it says like, it on there. It says it on there. Thomas like, Alabanza, they do this. Yeah. Pronouns. Right? <laughs> right? So, like, to have to, like, common mistakes is misgendering, right? And it sounds like this thing that, like, I think because we hear about misgendering so often, we don't actually often talk about the real effects that <coughs> it can have. And that's, like, a different effect. Like, depending on when I'm misgendered depends on how much of an effect. And, like, I hate reducing all my, like, fight for trans liberation to, like, someone getting my pronouns right. Mm-hmm. But right before you go on stage, like, jeez, like... You know, like, especially my performance element to it, if, like, as soon as I start, a lot of these times now I'm, like, doing my full show, and as soon as I go on stage, I'm starting. If I have to, like, start with, like, correcting some of my pronouns, like, I'm like, what? Um, but also it's other ways of, like, inviting me to places that, like, could you imagine a person like me in a dress there being safe? If not, reconsider whether or not you want to warn me before you book. So I've been, like, performing a lot at, like, I mean, I'm not doing my research, but also I take that they've read my work and heard my work, and a lot of the times they haven't, right? This is a key mistake these organisers have, is that they have, like, seen black queer performance artists booked me, and, like, not done any research on, like, who I am and my work, and are just booking me because it's LGBT History Month and they want to look good, right? So I think that's where it all boils down to. In fact, and all those other points can go straight back to this last point of, like, token. Like, I'm using Mm, the word in the sense that, like... Do you love and care for the person you're booking? Do you like love their work? Do you appreciate them as an artist and what they're bringing to you? If so, you'd make sure that X, Y, and Z didn't happen. If you don't, then you don't care. You're giving them money and you think you're doing a really great job. Pat on the back, look who we've got. Mm. Well. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I think that that's the same. I also want to... I mean, I know it's not necessarily for this podcast, whatever that really means, but I've genuinely had questions concerns um thoughts about um i mean representation that's why we're here but also or specifically regarding like along the binary um and the pretense of there not being a binary but then reinforcing one of like femme or mask sort of um Mm. identities like how um I mean, because that's interesting to me. And also, I, I have to think a bit more through it, because in some ways, I bet it's obvious. But um, when I'm asked to speak places, in some ways, it's like, I'm actually what, like, I'm warned. But I know that my friends who are, like, who are femme or who are um, trans femme, however, like, along the femme um, spectrum, pe- people just, like, assume you're... Sorry to put you, but, like, yeah. assume people like that, trans femme folks, people like you to... Um, or with like a feminine or femme representation, um, self-representation to like live off your fierceness or something. Yeah. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, well, continue- it's not yeah. me, but I've no. literally seen it happen yeah. where people come to me and then there's like the tap, like the shoulder and then like the whisper and they're like, yeah, they're going to be like, these kinds of games, you know, white people are, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. This was going to go on with me and my like daily bow tie situation. And then, yeah, like mm-hmm. high femme, truly fierce and like identify as fierce and like legit are fierce mm-hmm. as fuck but like as though mm-hmm. that gives you some sort of like black magical mm-hmm. negress power to like lift yourselves above and like yeah. not experience violence because you can stomp them with your like Real. fishnets and Real. your like combat boots and like tell me like this is not how that works <laughs> like first I, mean, I don't know what that means and i don't know and in some ways um i, I first of all i i totally recognize and hear what you're saying about how like that I mean that now it's a part of your poetry, whether you wanted it to be or mm-hmm. not. Especially if you're about to perform, like that's that's messed. Mm-hmm. That's that's 
cast a poll over how you are going to now be in this performance space. Mm-hmm. And then for me, I also read it like on my for, for myself as a form of misgendering as well. That the differences that I've seen between like femme and trans femme people being um, prepared to enter a space and how I'm addressed because it's almost like well. Like, we get that you're a woman, and so, like, fundamentally, you're going to be a bit sensitive, and so people are going to see you in the bow tie, and, like, mm. we just want to prepare you, because, like, mm. transgressing masculinity, even though it's better to be transgressing towards masculinity than the other way, as we know, um, we just want to let you know, because, we like, we're looking out for you. Mm. And that's the only way that I can think to read it, really, mm. in, in these moments, like, so she or they can live off of uh, her or their, their fierceness, but, like... All I have to like collapse on when I'm seen or, or or like seen by them, even if it's not the accurate way, especially not, is as woman, which is weak. Therefore, I need some sort mm-hmm. of like additional. Yeah. And I'm like, but what what is going on here? And I think um, like I'm giving a lot of words to this experience and trying to tease it out. But I want to be clear that this happens in like the space of ten or fifteen seconds. Yeah. Like it's super quick. But that is but like obvious. that's the scene and that's the set. That's how it's mm-hmm. that. Those are the positionalities that are like then mm-hmm. made to. to to exist mm-hmm. and am I going to spend my time writing myself out to them and trying to correct and find the nuance and spend mm-hmm. an hour and a half on this or am I going to like shove myself on stage for my five yeah. minutes and it has to be the latter right because right. we're also living in like a capitalist mm-hmm. sense and understanding of mm-hmm. community and there's no time which is what like hyper capitalism does like it robs us of the time to like slow down and say not that you're misgendering me, not something like you're yeah. trying to say, like, a reductive is that, but really, here are the conditions which you are robbing me of to thrive in my own purpose. Yeah. And here's why that's not okay. So I guess I had some things to say about it mm-hmm. also. Yeah. But... It did, when we spoke last summer, Travis, it did seem also like a lot of people that were putting on spoken word, not a lot, but some, and especially the ones that went wrong, said, oh, we've done enough to be welcoming because we put a plus sign on the end of the LGBT. Yeah. yeah. And that massing together of quite a large disparate group of people into one symbol seem to be causing some yeah. problems well, well. so I call like I call BS on it all right like I think that like after these events people are like oh but like it's so hard it's so hard to bring together this community it's so hard to do this and this yeah it is hard to bring together a group of people with various things and like but like also like not gonna blow my own trumpet because I didn't even do most of the like hard work and grafting organizing of this, right? So like, I was organized, like queer creations, right? Mm-hmm. This was not a perfect night. Like no night is perfect. There was some white woman that spoke for like 10 minutes for too Can long, we- right? And we all knew that. And that was a mistake on our part. Just the like, Yeah, right? And we know that there was like a poem there that like shouldn't have been in there, right? All of them. Yeah, right. But the night itself was not cutie pox specific. It was open if people wanted to turn up. No one was policing, like, any. no one was asking if there were what sexuality at the door. I know there were straight people in there, right? Which, like, at the end, I was like, okay. Um, but, like, at the time, I, like, you know. And this night was a really nice vibe. It created, like, a really nice energy for certain people. I hope. I don't know what some people think, right? And there wasn't these, like, big hiccups. If, like, there were others, then I hope that they could come forth to the organisers, right? And then... It was this idea that like, yes, that we had to put in some work to do that, right? Like, but that's what responsibility you take on when you're creating a space. So all these organizers, like last year, I mean like, I don't really think they're doing it anymore. I think it was like a quick trend that was going on last year. Like I'm a straight person, I'm gonna put on a queer event, right? Cause let's commodify on that. And it's still kind of happening. Mm-hmm. They have a responsibility. Like you have to take on that responsibility that you are now hosting a space. And that is a responsibility. If you don't want the responsibility, don't do it right like simple as because you're hosting space to people 
And I think they think they do enough just to invite us. But like, you know, like if I invited someone to my house for dinner, but then like gave them unseasoned chicken, then I'm not really giving them a good dinner. Or ask them to cook. Which yeah, is right. This is, yeah, that's <laughs> way more over. accurate, right? They ain't giving <laughs> so us any food. There's the cupboard. <laughs> come over, pay for your transport, come over, then yeah. cook and pay for the food as well. <laughs> Because so much of this is unpaid, is right? Like, I feel like yeah. I hate bringing up payment a lot of the times, but, like, real, right? Like, you know, a lot of these queer, like, queer POC, trans POC artists that were getting booked for these events were, like, I hate the word established. We're all, like, but, like, as in, like, in the system's idea of established, were published, were, mm-hmm. like, you know, by the Academy was all, like, already, like, given all this, like, credibility that if a white person had, they would never be asked to do it for free. Yeah right and that's what i mean we're like inviting them over but we're also not paying them right like so i don't know yeah so yeah in short i think i mean the knights just can do a lot of work it's not a bit secret story what my the poem i chose was about in terms of being like having care like thinking of care as a real thing um and like shout out also to the care collective Mm. um which is fantastic um but also like what you was, what Travis was saying, being being responsible. And that doesn't just mean, you know, like coddling or like patronizing or, or like having to like co- like care for and like hold us, but just really think about the radical potential of what it means to hold a space mm. um, and to give access like we were just talking about. I think that's, um, I'm sorry to be, I mean, it sounds a little bit woo or like abstract, but I really, really genuinely feel if people were just careful, like had more care in terms of what it meant to host the thing or do like perform an act, um, I think that would cut out a lot of the problem because it's already systemic BS that we're talking about, right? But I think um, for any people who are listening and try to walk in the purpose of of change and and like making things uh, i don't even know i'm gonna say like equitable not equality but like really a system in which people can thrive like everyone can thrive i think um just just think before you do things i think the ability mm-hmm. to like live in ignorance um is if not the then one of the whitest things i've ever heard um and that's yeah. a really good quote <laughs> yeah, I live, I live above the stickers. I'm going to sort of half end there, because I really like that. But um, I'd like to just sort of finish by talking about your writing, the both of you. And maybe we'll start with Travis. Um, yeah, so like last week I showcased um, a work I've been, like a piece of work I've been working on for a while. Wow, I would go plug. Um, called Stories of a Queer Brown Muddy Kid. It's a live art um, kind of cross-disciplinary piece that is, I promise isn't as wanky as I just made it sound. Mm. Um, and it did really well at the RBT and it looks like it's going to be at the Hackney Attic at the end of March. Um, it tells the story of a 16-year-old at that time gay kid walking around gay bars underage and it's a webcam conversation between that person, their mum and God. Um, again, isn't as wanky as it sounds. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I'm also performing at the Gender Football next week at Goldsmiths. Um, I bought a candy floss dress for it. It should be fun. Um, yeah, really? <laughs> have, you, have you got a blog? Oh yeah, um, website's currently being yeah. made, yeah. but um, you can follow me on Twitter where I do lots of angry things and emotions <laughs> at Travis Alabanza. Um, 
And also my SoundCloud I've started using as a bio for my dates because I'm still waiting for that website to be made. Cool. Um, so how did that, how did this latest piece develop? Yeah. Was it workshopping or was it? Right, so like Stories of a Queer by Muddy Kid is basically, I'm kind of cheating, as in the name's not new. So like when I was in Bristol, so I grew up in Bristol and when I was deciding to leave Bristol, I spent like, like a year and a half on like the open mic poetry scene in Bristol and kind of just being like, maybe, you know, really needing to improve and that was a really great time, but also like I felt like I wasn't being really heard and I kept on seeing like a lot of people that were like progressing in this idea of like bookings and like people talking about them. And at that time I was really young and like wanting that too. Um, so I left with like, I uh, the Stokes Croft Art Festival happened every year and I like emailed them and said, you need to give me a slot and make my own show. And I didn't have a show. And I put out this thing called Stories of a Queer by Muddy Kid, which was basically just this really good name and then really not a show. So then when I decided that now, like three years on, like I felt like I was ready to create something, I didn't want to change the name because the age I was writing it at was very relevant to like what I was doing now. And what I did is I like started talking to a lot of my queer black, I don't identify as queer actually, that's really important. I started talking to my gay black friends from back home about like what it was like for us growing up because I'm the only one, I was thinking a lot about the fact that I'm the only one that now IDs as queer. I'm the only one that like IDs as non-binary. And I was thinking about, I'm also the only one that has left Bristol and left that place and gone to London and whatever this means in King's College London. And a university aspect and all the privileges I've accessed through that. So we just started talking about all the times we like snuck into gay bars and I took like actual conversations they've had with like their parents and religion like was this common theme between all of us and just created created like this freeway conversation so it wasn't really workshops it was more like taking like phrases and like turning them into like uh like pieces of work like each piece in the like it's like a poetry show but it's not really like it kind of runs through as a theater piece and each section is very clearly like talking about one phrase and it's kind of taking that phrase and like seeing where we go from it and it was really healing it was just like a, do you know what it was it was like a complete like self-indulgent healing piece of work mm-hmm because I hadn't really like sorted out that stuff that being young and at that time, like the type of masculine that like really works for light skinned black people that look like me. I hadn't really processed what that meant to be in underage, like be underage in those gay bars, right? Like that's violent. So I needed mm-hmm. to like sort that shit out. So yeah, if that sounded interesting to anyone, come along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and say, what have you got going on at the moment? You'd like to talk about? Gosh, sure, I'm watching a lot of Scandal. Um, yes. <laughs> um, I don't know, did you say... So we say have the... Uh, oh, well, I, sure. Um, Travis and I and I think a couple of other people are going to be on a panel next Wednesday at University of the Arts London called Beyond Gender, The Identity of Fashion. That's Wednesday the 17th from 12 to 2. <laughs> This week on BBC Four, I um no I so there's that um I'm also on Twitter but I'm so, I'm so terrible at it I'm really trying to be better um, at social media especially because fun. I like bother Travis for most of my days <laughs> um but S A Smythe E S S A Y S M Y T H E on Twitter um same for my um WordPress and I'm also in the process of building a website um in terms of writing trying to you know get on that academic grind but then also um i am currently working on um non like a, a chapbook of non-anglophone um i don't even know what to call them 
stories, memories, partly about, you know, about blackness. Let's just go, go yeah. there. I mean, they're about my, <laughs> like they started from a place of really trying to reconcile with my relationship to my father and his absence. Um, but then also our meditations of like masculinity and also because Costa Rica and also speaks um, so spoke Costa Rican Spanish and also Garifuna, which is a dialect indigenous um, language from Central America, spoken throughout Central America, um, to really think about um, the language we use to afford us a space of safety and what happens when that's not present and how to really speak one's truth when you're speaking in a language of the colonizer mm. so it's about that um as yet untitled yeah and what is your editing process when you're writing poetry uh, do you share your work with the people or do you... i drink a lot yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> i hide it away i cry uh it's off the record right um and um then eventually i have a really close group of friends with whom I write um, that um, sort of wrest it from my hands, like they force it from me, they're like, you, we need to see, you need to share, we need to see this, um, share yourself, and then I do, and then there's more crying. Yeah, I think that's really the extent of the process. I really, I mean, I like to write things by hand, I always have a book with me, and I really like to, to do that, and then I also, um, so much um, as I'm thinking, I, I think a lot of what I think about and write about is so bound up in nostalgia um, because when I want to think about big things like colonialism and oppression and masculinity and misogyny and these sorts of things, diaspora, I don't really need to go terribly far. I just need to go to my mum's house, you know, like it's, it's really, really bound and entrenched in there how I begun to think about those things forcefully and then had to reconcile them. And so sometimes I just such will be like a like a exercise in masochism i mean i just also just yesterday came back from uh a few weeks um i want to call it holiday but that would be sort super generous oh my god definitely definitely i mean it was like um, it was amazing because I felt, I mean, that's a whole other thing, but I definitely went, and speak about creative process, I definitely went into that with the idea of like, I'm going to write the shit out of this, <laughs> like this material, you know, and in a sense that protected me, you know, my, speak, like, my creative process actually went back and protected me as, as, as opposed to eventually exposing me because I was able to see it through the lens of um, a creator and someone who was going to let, let themselves be like, radically open to whatever experiences and sometimes violences that would occur in that space um traveling with my mom throughout various countries with like the external otherness but also the foreignness of just being two people and, and being adults together which has never really happened and so i'm also i think i want to say i'm in the process of writing that but i think i've been decades in the process of writing something like this like because also that's real and sorry to ramble and make this another aside but i think and we were speaking about this just a little bit earlier in terms of like cutie pop youth and how mm. they can grow up and think about having um, access or having a pur- having a, not just a purpose of course they will have a purpose but being able to share that purpose mm. and i think a lot of what that's tied to especially in terms of access is the fact that we're not expected to live that long um we're not really expected to sort of live and thrive and be contributors to our communities and and tell us of our own stories and i think it's just sort of like moving myself like a narcissist but like i think i think really what i'd like to reconcile with and what i'm trying to 
what I think I'd like to write about next is some sort of reconciliation or, or grappling with um, how, like, what are cutie park adult, like even, what does adulthood mean? Um, instead of thinking about like, not instead of thinking about, but while in the wake of thinking through the fact that so many of our lives are cut short and people aren't even saying our names, but to really think about like every day I live beyond the medium of the age of when like trans people of color don't have a life expectancy, which is 27 um, in the US. I actually don't know what it is in the UK. Um, I think they have that data. Pardon? I don't even think they've right? got that. Right, but I didn't yeah. want to, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, like every every hour I live beyond that that number, I think, well, what am I doing? Like, I feel like, not that it's on borrowed time, because that's speaking, sh- like, out of my ass about, pri- like, from a space of sheer privilege, but I really think, like, part of it, too, is, like, you know, how Hollywood's, so there's, like, a trans boom in Hollywood, but it's, like, super tragic stories of these white women who are played mm-hmm. by men, cis men, um, mm-hmm. And they're all incredibly tragic, but what does it really look like for there to be some tragedy, but also to really be able to tell a story and grapple with what does it mean to like once have had a mother-daughter relationship and now to have this new found like adult relationship that is so dysfunctional, but also speaks to the intersections of a lot of violences and to be able to, to like have the space to think through that um, beyond the age when I should not even be here. That was a long explanation but I, yeah that's and what I'm asking. As a final point because we're talking about younger listeners and younger writers um, is there any particular advice you wish you'd been given? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the canon sorry <laughs> <laughs> like str- yeah, like, yeah, like sh- window, yeah we're, you, like, you invite us I can't <laughs> <be honest>. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah just don't like my I wish I told my younger self like don't listen to what they say is like poetry like find what you think is great read it love it and then like just keep on practicing and like just I don't know like I feel like black poor writers have this extra inner voice that like I'm sure a lot of writers have in their head telling them not only like that what they're writing isn't good but like that they can't even write and that that like that voice go went oh, I still sometimes question if I can write yet like mm-hmm. and I think like I would just say like find other writers that like speak like you start looking like start looking at poetry in like a broader sense of like words and then start realizing that like the music artists you see like creating shit the people you see on like your like corner like when you're cussing out your brother like these are like rhymes that you can then take and create into like poetry but yeah really just keep on like tell my younger self to keep on doing it I don't know, I think, so if we're saying what we tell our younger selves and then what we tell, like, cutie pock youth, I think I would say to myself that I really like the shape of your lips and I think that when you part them, worlds come forth and I think that you should, if no one else will, really honour that you can do that mm. because it's really amazing. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'll tell adorable little essay with the same size glasses, oddly. Uh, <laughs> like... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think that's that's sort of all. I think everyone's so yeah. important and just yeah. like put yourself there. Take I up think so much space. Love the shape of your lips. That's what mm. I would say. Very nice. Mm. Um, actually, one final thing before we wrap up. <laughs> Is there anyone that you would recommend uh, writers and performers mm. uh, mm. to for listeners to check out? A person called Travis Alabanza. Really <laughs> <awkward>. <laughs> um, <laughs> hmm. 
But I'm also wondering if instead of like recommending them to like specific people, recommending them to online spaces mm. that will provide them with like even more. So like I personally like loved like I, I don't know how to put the Napantla journal mm-hmm. journal. Napantla, yeah. Yeah, like that was like a really good resource for me to find other young creatives and doing stuff. Um, I think Gaudem coming out at the moment, a lot of the people, they're like doing a lot of lists of young creatives. And these are people that like, you know, when you say your name, someone will go, oh, I haven't, I have, like, they won't be like, ah, I've heard of them. And I think that's so important, right? Because they're normally saying something that's so important. So like, also check out, oh, Dutty, Dutty Girl Bristol DJs. Uh, like they're like an art space and they like make their own fashion and stuff um, but they're also like doing DJ stuff and I think it's really cool for me to look at like when they DJ like how poetic what they're speaking over it is um, yeah start like redefining basically redefining this narrow box of poetry for me like because I wouldn't have got into poetry without music so start listening to music start listening to grime artists like mm. yeah but I love grime so that's always going to be my <laughs> recommend recommendations so listening to cry it's fantastic um what's the second yeah um i want to second which i've been doing all day everything travis says cosign always all the way through (laughs) um i think the panda's really really fantastic Mm. um i kind of been moved by like we were just slagging off on anthologies a bit earlier and I think that volume, it's not mm. an anthology, but like that's mm. like a way to do it. I mean, it mm. like, seems really it's radical incredible. and really collective and really an example of like how um, we can be a community and how our texts can sort of coexist mm. without having to co-opt or mm-hmm. speak for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, even the editors know. I obviously have to give a plug for them, themlit.com. Um, and also there is um, some really, really dear friends have a zine called Mix Up. It's a mixed queer, mixed race, queer, feminist um, zine. The second volume um, is just now wrapping up. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens and I'm fingers crossed that I'm staying in it. Um, and I, yeah, I think that that and zines in general are really, yeah, really a fantastic too. space. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like Rudy Lowe and Jacob Joyce and lots of other people. Right, um, and I think that that's something that's been going on for decades. Like, there's an entire um, system of like circulation that, um, if we could just, and I hate to like put money on it because some of us just don't have any, but like if we just give that more attention mm. and give that more play, then it also will continue to shake mm-hmm. the systems and the hierarchies of like publishing and mm-hmm. giving agency to who, um, who are the gatekeepers of our voices. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, I just wanted to reiterate that I've really enjoyed that anthology that I mentioned earlier as well, Troubling the Line, Mm. because, not least because each writer was allowed um, one or two pages of space for an artist statement, Mm -hmm. rather than the short bio that everyone gets, and there's a real insight as to why that person was writing in general, Mm -hmm. no matter what the context was, and uh, if, if it's... I was going to say, if it's in your library, it's not going to be in your library. The poetry <laughs> library have it in London and the South Bank have a couple uh-huh. of co- copies, so it does exist in certain places. But yeah. uh, thank you, Travis. Thank, thank you, you SA. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And as many of these links as we've just been talking about, I'll put in the, <laughs> I'll put in the uh, description box for the YouTube video. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Glad to be here with you, Travis. Peace out.